Hello, world singers. My name is Tyler. My name is Brooke. And this is Cosmere Conversations. Hello, welcome back, everyone. We are living in a new world. We are. I'm very excited to be back. And I'm also very excited that we had so much foresight to plan our reading list so far in advance. And I feel like that's really going to come in handy. I wish that we could say that the extra time we have been bestowed by our government-mandated lockdown (laughs) has not led us to reading faster uh, because we had some things to take care of. And yeah, it's been been a little bit crazy the last couple of weeks. And I do want to just like take a moment here to say hello to all of our listeners. And like, I hope that you are all happy and healthy in whatever state your life is in now. Many of you are probably also sheltering at home as we are, but fortunately we have the Cosmere and the magic of the internet to keep us all connected. I am desperately hoping two things. A, that someone listens to us in the future and B, that they have no idea what we're talking about. (laughs) That they're just I don't confused. think that's going to be the case. And maybe not, but I would More love... likely to be like a historical gem. Someone who's like, oh my God, these are the people. These are the historical humans who were living in isolation during the terrible coronavirus pandemic of 2020. Can you believe it? No, I cannot. I We were not prepared as the world is now realizing But what we have... Well, if there is a future human listening to us, hello, future human. Congrats on surviving. I'm now just (laughs) hoping that it's me that it gets to listen to this in the future. We have the Cosmere, and the Cosmere is filled with depth and queries. Yeah, we're fortunate to be fans of such a intricate universe that this could fill up a lot of our time. (laughs) And... I think the best way to start is to ask the fans, again, what they are interested in, what their theories are, what questions they have. We've done a couple of fan-based episodes before, and they have always been wonderful and just kind of real standouts in terms of popularity as well. People like hearing their names. So let's get to reading some questions and some theories and just kind of intermixing whatever came at us on the social medias. Yeah, some of these are just um, freeform questions that we've gotten from fans on our platform uh, over the last couple of months. Some of them are responses to our direct ask for questions and theories on either Facebook or Twitter. So here we go. Listener Ty Lee asked, Intoxication Spren. How do you feel about them? Intoxicated. That's how I feel about them. (laughs) Excellent. Next question. Uh, No, I think that uh, the concept of spren that are attached to emotions or attached to different states, both physical and emotional, and I think it really hones in a little bit on what Brandon is focused 
by or like what he sees around him that he Mm. finds interesting in the world so like for example you could probably come up with an idea of a spren that quote unquote should exist but that we haven't heard about in the story sure but we have heard about wind spren and we have heard about intoxicate so in some ways there is a question i really think about like what Brandon finds most interesting or kind of is pulling out of the world in different interactions. He might. Yeah. Or just like the things that we have seen and like the state that Rashar is in currently is going to bias itself towards different types of spren, right? Like we see anger spren, fear spren, et cetera, because there's a lot of war happening in Mm. the events that we've seen and in the current state that Rashar is in. However, I would be like really interested to hear if maybe there were spren that were more prevalent in like different spaces of time. And I think that the uh, listeners, as we get to hear more about the listeners and the singers, um, their ancestors, they might know more about the different types of spren that exist because they've been bonding them. Excellent first question, Tylee. How about we just go for number two and start with the Tylee's crazy theory because it's great. Yeah, super great theory. The more I thought about this question, the more I liked it. I'm going to paraphrase just quickly. Um, Tylee's sort of question or theory is that before Adonalsium, there were other creation gods and like a whole religion surrounding them. And this person's like basis for this theory is that we know that there was already some kind of culture or society, the, you know, whatever culture Hoyd was a part of, that the group that came together to shatter Adonalsium was a part of. And they make the point that this group seemed to view Adonalsium as fallible, right? They had to believe that Adonalsium could be shattered. And maybe that belief in fallibility meant that Adonalsium was in some way human, uh, similar to like the vessels that are currently holding the shards. And Tylee says that this might be similar to, again, the way that like Hoyd knows the current shard vessels. I think that's a really kind of intricate way and in some ways like a uh, a buddhist philosophy or or just more eastern philosophy about like how at the very end there is the beginning and so like what happens at the beginning <laughs> of this cosmere universe well it's the end of another universe sure where everything was happening you know all the intricacies but and this was just one group of people that like maybe we're just running like a science experiment in the modern world uh, think of something like the large hadron collider you know that explodes atoms together and uh, subatomic particles to kind of experience and test the very beginnings of the universe but if they're off by like three or four degrees i'm making this up not a scientist guys uh but if they're off by like a couple of degrees they could like accidentally open up a black hole on earth and it would just like consume everything so it's totally possible that at the beginning of the Cosmere, there really is just some group of individuals that were part of a large yeah, universe like what before an that. Interesting concept that before the shards, there was the same setup. Yeah, it was just, just one dude with the power, mm-hmm. and then 
like that makes so much sense that then there would be a group of people like, hey, how come he gets all the power or she gets all the power? Like, why don't we share it? Why don't we stage this righteous revolution to take this one person out of power? And that they would have like a whole other religion before Adonalsium. It makes me think of other religions like uh, Greek mythology, how when you like first start learning about it, you're like, oh, Zeus. Zeus is like the big god. But then Zeus is actually the son of Kronos, who's like a god beyond him. And Kronos is actually like the creation of Gaia and, you know, the earth and the space, essentially. And so it keeps like scaling upward into larger and larger gods where what you thought, yeah, like who you thought was the king of the gods is actually just a small part below other divinities. And I really like that idea for the Cosmere. Absolutely. I think it's probably one of the things that is seen across the Cosmere. Like we can see the different scales even as our own kind of limited reader perspective. Obviously, we don't have like the knowledge of Brandon, but. Well, and I think we've spent so much time like scaling it down Mm-hmm. from Adonalsium and yeah. from the shards and saying like, okay, you have Adonalsium, then the shards, and then the shards disseminate their power into Spren and Splinters and mm-hmm. Investiture and like it all comes down from there. But I've never thought about zooming out and thinking like, wait, okay, what if Adonalsium is not the beginning slash end? What if Adonalsium, there's another level? Yeah. And then we're just into in the macro inception territory yeah. or the kind of simulation <laughs> theory about if you can create a universe and you have the technological computing power to create a fully functioning universe that's as complex as ours, well, then to all the things inside of that simulation, they don't care that it's a real world to them. Like they don't know the difference uh, if you have that much computing power. And I think that when it comes to the Cosmere, what I love is that you can bounce up and down these scales. You don't just have to be talking like um, at the bird's eye view or even the the galactic eye view. You don't, it's not just a story about that. Some stories are kind of just about that and they're dealing with those kind of big questions. But then you can come down and scale down in the Cosmere and have a interpersonal relationship that is meaningful and uh, potent and you can have these stories that we attach on to so i think it's super fun and i particularly yeah. like it's so cool to go that they crazy. have all the levels yeah but i think really what we're most interested in is the way that the characters in the cosmere interact and then everything else is just kind of like layers of fun on that I do want to add a word of Brandon in here as well that's relevant. Um, This is from a recent book signing. Uh, Someone asked him for information on why Adonalsium shattered, and Brandon said that Adonalsium shattered because he was killed, which I feel like sounds like it backs up Tylee's theory. It at least points in a good direction. I we know something happened. We don't know what it is. We don't have that full knowledge. But I love the idea of at the beginning of the Cosmere stories, we started to scale down and zoom into the characters. And then towards the end, we're going to scale back up yeah. and see the bigger picture. And we'll have this kind of um, beautiful, fractal journey through the Cosmere. We'll, 
at each level you'll see reflections and similarities um, that are repeating themselves. I also like the thought that the reunification of Adenalsium not being like the end game, you know? Yes. I just like the idea that it there might going. be more yeah, that we're not anticipating. Um, anyway, on to the next. Oh, this person, if I'm remembering correctly, I don't have their name because it was not in the English alphabet, so I couldn't read it. So sorry, listener, that I don't speak your language. But this person asked, or said, rather, listening to the reread of Eero, the Mistborn Era 1 podcast, something occurred to me. Are shards prevented from directly harming humans somehow? It seems like we've been given a couple scenes where they may have had incentive to do so, for example, with Odium and Ruin, but they don't. And we don't have any lore or stories of them doing so. And we have a character, Hoyd, who know we know that he's unable to uh, hurt other humans. So maybe whatever is binding Hoyd is also binding the shards. This, I think, opens up a kind of Pandora's box of things that were just on the edge of knowing that we have little pieces of information about but we don't have the whole picture or it's like a we have a couple of the puzzle pieces so we can be like well we know red goes over here somewhere but we don't actually i think have a good answer to this question that is just a very simple question at its heart it's are the shards somehow prevented from directly harming humans somehow right and i think the answer is maybe yeah, I mean, I think there's, like, so many possible answers to this. I think that there's something to the shards being, like, such cosmic powers that they either can't or it's very difficult to, like, focus their power in such a specific way on one tiny human being. We've seen them affect human lives in larger ways in like the natural world right with like ruin uh ruining scadrial creating more ash creating earthquakes creating very unfavorable conditions to kill humans we've seen the island patchy in first of the sun has plenty of deadly goodies for humans to kill them so we see a lot of shards sort of manifest in these natural ways that affect and harm human life. But, well, and then I guess like another way is like the creation of the fused. Shards can create minions that are completely on the physical realm that can physically harm specific humans. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think that, yeah, in Scadrial, we see that with like the Coloss who are yeah. a creation of the Lord Ruler, but kind of acting through Ruin or with Ruin knowing he could backdoor into those guys and take them over. I think we have some evidence most strongly around Hoyd, so I at least want to bring that up. Sure. Uh, because in Secret History, we have yeah. interactions where Kelsier is... Um, you know, famously punching out Hoyd in just his moment of uh, punching out every god that he can see. He like goes three for three with yeah. like uh, preservation, ruin, and then, you know, 
Hoyt is kind of a god. He's like near <laughs> god, touched godhood. So that's pretty dang good for Kelsier. However, I think that after that moment, Savandrius gets up and like wrecks Kelsier and mentions specifically that like he can't go any further, but he would, but he's being held back by something. Yeah. And I believe that Fuzz Preservation also references this fact that he is aware of um hoyd as like an entity and that he's not overly concerned he doesn't think that he's dangerous because kelsey has a fear that he's like super we have several words of brandon as well confirming that hoyd's limitations yeah there's some limitations to hoyd's ability to physically hurt people that it's either extremely difficult for him or yeah he's like held back in some way yeah, and so we don't really know what is holding them back. Personal choice, an oath pack of sorts, a kind of, um, you know, like a fail-safe type of system. Like, we don't know what is holding him back, but it seems something is. I would also say for the shards anyway, their ability to harm anything really is going to be somewhat dictated by the intent of their shard. Like, that's why Odium is able to destroy so many shards, whereas other shards like Harmony or Preservation, they are going to have a much more difficult, if not impossible, time destroying things because it is out of line with the core of the being of their power. Yeah, that's a good point, just completely, like, separately. Like, some of the shards we would just expect could never harm cultivation uh being probably like the prime example is just like well i would say preservation would be the prime the best. example yeah. well, like he even literally just the opposite of like destruction yeah <laughs> but cultivation too cultivation's intent is to help things grow yes. and so she is not going to be able to like cut things down or kill them because that's the opposite of what she is and i am curious that there is at least a little bit of flexibility when it comes to cultivation because part of cultivating like a garden is also weeding pruning. and pruning. And well, so like maybe she, she has like And she says that loopholes. to Dalinar. That's what she calls her blessing slash curse. Yeah. She, uh, but there actually might be part of that quote where she says like, I can't actually destroy something, but I can prune. Exactly. Like I can't completely erase it this thing, but I can just like grow. prune it out of your memory. Yes. I, I believe it's a, a delicate balance that cultivation has that preservation lacked. Yeah. That she can like carve. Exactly. I really think that there is an interesting example when we look at Odium because he's obviously, from our perspective, the thing that most seems intent, maybe other than ruin, but seems pretty intent on like destruction and destroying things. And at the same time, he has a lot of minions he has a lot of manipulation of humans so that they fight against humans he has lots of moments when he has to use powers that are not just his shard power like Hmm. he's using something else you know yeah so like why why isn't he just like dropping onto the planet and just laying waste to everything as kind of like a a sauron figure you know in the first when he when he originally shows up he's just like laying waste to stuff as a physical entity i wouldn't say that I think this is a good comparison, though. I like that we've 
gone on this little tangent because if you think about it, ruin versus odium, ruin would be further down on the spectrum of like can destroy things, right? Mm-hmm, it's true. literally ruin. <laughs> Whereas odium, even though he has manifested himself as the big bad in this world, I feel like that intent and what he said about himself as being more of passion is more like sowing discord or like chaos and rioting all of the strong emotions of all humans, right? So there's more chaos than destruction. Things aren't Mm -hmm. actually necessarily being destroyed. You're going to have war in equal parts as sex, you know, creation and destruction at the same time. And it's all just kind of like jumbled up. Yeah. Versus ruin, just destruction. (laughs) It It does, at least to me, point to some type of limitation that's hardwired in for whatever reason and i am curious how this plays into the long game and big picture because autonomy seems to be bending this rule Mm, yeah and we don't really know why the avatars of autonomy are different than the ways that odium or ruin operate yeah because we know that autonomy has avatars like trell on taldane the literal physical human being that shows up and is like hi my name is trell um has those avatars and then like i don't know what yeah like what are those how is autonomy able to create itself a body to be able to like walk around like a human being yeah because this is not something that we see any of the other shards approach anything like even close yeah Yeah. i mean the again we see them as like physical sort of natural things like high storms etc but not just humans exactly even though the storm father is just a remnant of the shard of honor even he a remnant doesn't walk around as a human he has to embody something as great as a high storm because that's how like much of the stuff there is yeah and i think it's even more so exponentially more so for the shards there's a word of brandon where in describing kind of what happens uh to the physical bodies of the vessels when they become a shard happened to Vin, happened to Zay's, and then we assume happened to all the other vessels as well. But Brandon described the process of attaining or ascending to shardhood uh, being like water pressure building up while passing through too small of a valve eventually the pressure and the magnitude and power of the shard obliterates the physical body it literally like cannot contain what the shard is and then we never really see any of the shards except for autonomy ever kind of recoalesce into a, a physical body in kind of a normal way so then it's like a question is is autonomy breaking off pieces of themselves, 
you know, and like because it's a just a piece maybe and not the whole thing, yeah. it's able to go inside of a physical body. But then like why is autonomy the only one that can do that? Is it just because it's autonomy and naturally has the ability to like break apart because all of the parts of itself want to be autonomous? I think this gets into another one of the theories that was put forward by a Twitter user named Brad or Bradley, who said that uh, autonomy is the real big bad of the Cosmere, even though we think it's Odium. Odium might be the main bad character in the first five Stormlight books, but in the second, it will shift more to autonomy, is his theory for how things go. Yeah, and his sort of reasoning for that is that autonomy, autonomy's intent is directly opposed to the idea of reunifying Adenalsium, obviously. Yeah. Let's go to Vince, who said, I have a theory on the Kelsier cognitive shadow with a body. So we know there is a metal that stores identity. So what if that metal is the one spiked into the eye of the body Kel took and that took out the identification of the host body and imprinted Kel's cognitive shadow's form onto the body with the new change of identity. I think that's like a pretty good guess that we can say with general certainty that that's exactly what happened. Although I think the process would be much more complicated than just a spike with identity because I think Kel would first have to also be made a Farukamist in addition to his normal identity as a Mistborn. And then after making himself a full Farukamist, then he would have to spike himself in like several different ways in order to be able to like transfer his identity and tap it. I feel like you would have to do some kind of compounding. There is probably a lot of complexity. I don't think it's going to be something as simple as the one spike that we have seen so far, but I do like the idea that Vince points out about somehow taking the cognitive shadow and stapling it to a real body a yeah. la like Peter Pan and his shadow. <laughs> that's kind of uh, just such a funny idea, but we think that's basically what has kind of gone on. Yeah. I just think the process is a little bit more complicated than taking a Duralumin spike and just ripping out an identity from yeah. Kelsier and pinning it directly on, but maybe it is that simple. Maybe. Could you tell us about Rob's theory? Yeah, Rob has a take on the unite them theory from Oathbringer. He started thinking that maybe Dalinar will unite the shards specifically on Rashar, on our cultivation and odium, to become something like passion. We already have Sazed uniting ruin and preservation to be harmony, and he thinks that maybe you know, the same thing is going to happen on Rashar. Yeah, kind of the concept that the three, at least on Rashar, in my opinion, don't work perfectly by themselves. Yeah, Um, I think. Yeah, like, I don't think they they wouldn't be passion if they were combined 
what would they be? I don't know what they would be combined. <laughs> Obviously, it would just be Dalinar Shard or something. Unity is what a lot of people have said that Dalinar could become in some way. But I, I think that there is a clear... Maybe this is just my perspective and my own biases, but I, I feel like there's a clear problem with Honor, obviously, already fallen, uh, Odium, obviously, bad and scary guy, and even Cultivation with her weird, like, lack of involvement, kind of out of the way, like, what is she doing, why? But it just seems like all of them are out of whack, and the Heralds, in turn, are, like, as their representatives, are, are also way out of way whack. Out of whack. And I just feel like the world is calling or the universe is calling for those things to be put back together because they they don't feel great. And that's like more and more what I'm coming to as a conclusion about the greater Cosmere is like Mm, the shards are wrong. The shards weren't meant to operate separately. Exactly. Yeah. It's broken. They're all warped versions of what could be or what could have been. And I think that... There may be a, a unification into a unity into whatever, mm-hmm. um, but I am curious. I don't think it's going to be as peaceful relatively as yeah. happened on Skadrill. It seems like it would be difficult for a single vessel because we know that Sazed already says like it's, it's really hard yeah. to hold preservation and ruin at the same time and to balance those two intents for a single vessel to hold honor odium and cultivation and try to balance all of those intents i just i don't know how that would happen now let's move over to spencer who says he's an old man who just listened to his first podcast ever which is so cute always impressive and And i'm so glad we were somebody's first podcast ever that is a moment to celebrate so awesome yeah so thanks spencer you made our day he says I think you have a theory of Mr. T being an unknowing agent of cultivation. Mr. T being Taravanchian from our uh, Mr. T episode. Mr. T's big day. (laughs) One interesting thing which may be supporting evidence is the detail we get on the distribution of Mr. T's intelligence each day. Brandon spends a lot of time describing it as something that's essentially a normal bell curve, but his one big diagram day was so far out on the tail of the distribution that it essentially shouldn't have occurred. Right, like the statistical... Likelihood yeah. was so small that it shouldn't have occurred. Spencer believed this points to some outside influence, possibly from Cultivation, who knew in creating the kind of bell curve that she could later like throw a bump in there or just like a tap right where it sends it out to the extreme unlikelihood of a possibility because for now we know that cultivation directly influenced teravangian and dalinar and in dalinar's case she told him like at some point you're going to get your memories back and she kind of chose the moment to start allowing them back in so this theory is essentially that she did the same thing with Teravangian that she gave him this blessing slash curse with the knowledge that she could come in and dink and I believe that the real key to this theory uh comes in the last little bit where Spencer says that while we 
are led to believe that Teravangian's intelligence is the thing that's going to save humanity because it's what Teravangian is focused on. Mm -hmm. It could actually be the inverse that what Cultivation was doing was twofold. She was taking advantage of both the extreme ends, but because she knocked the bell curve possibility way out on one day, it might mean that the opposite has to be true. Like there's still a second shoe to drop? There has to be. Because well, that's true. His day of highest compassion is exactly. still to come. Exactly. And so I think that's the real theory is that we will see that what Teravangian wants more than anything is to have another genius day. And I think he's just going to get worse and worse and worse mm. um, until he has a day that is so unbelievably bad in his perspective right. that it's actually on the other side of the bell curve when he is most compassionate and maybe he has a moment of sacrifice or some, he does some takes some action on that day as unbelievably dumb the dumbest like that is possible right right right. but still compassionate still teravangian letting all those positive things come out of him in one moment and cultivation basically was like not being the thing yeah she was like i'll take this play the smart day and manipulate it the way that i can and then i'll take the long play the compassionate day Mm, i love this theory so interesting and i think Teravangian's actual ask was for the capacity to stop what's coming. And he believes that it's the intelligence half of the equation, like you said. But it could be that compassion is actually the thing that she gave him to have the capacity to stop what's coming. It could also be that he needs both, right? That maybe his opportunity to save humanity is going to come on the day when he is like perfectly balanced 100 percent possibility like i i don't know what it is i think that the concept is interesting enough that we haven't seen teravangian's actual most important day for sure next we have a question from Matt, super interesting question he says what are your theories of how faster than light will be achieved in era four Mistborn. Similar to that, we have Trey um, postulating that Marasi's cadmium ability is going to be used in the space travel technology. Trey says, it feels like Brandon really wanted to make the reader think as Marasi did that it's a useless power, but if Skadrians are going to travel to other planets, then it's going to take some time. And instead of using like a cryogenic method, they might use cadmium to allow them to travel long distances without aging. Okay, nobody saw this, but I just straightened up in my chair and was like putting he, on He's my, getting ready. Yeah, my professor hat because <laughs> there ain't nothing. I love more than talking about time travel. And oh boy, any type of faster than light travel seems to be somewhat necessary for the Scadrian's Era 4, at least from our speculation. Obviously, we have no idea, but this is like complete crazy hat. My professor hat I mentioned a minute ago, it's actually a crazy person hat. The crazy person hat is on, let's talk about how the possible future for Scadrial could look. I think, Trey, you're a genius because the biggest problem is issues with relativity and speed. Yeah, you obviously have to be able to 
travel in time in some way. Well, as you travel through space, you are traveling through time because they are one thing that is linked, not two separate things. So it means the faster you travel in space, as you would in like a normal ship, the slower you are moving through time. That's a locked-in problem that is just like, we know it. It's going to be an issue. And so they have to have some type of workaround for that. Wait, they have an inverse relationship? They have an inverse relationship. Exactly. This is what has been blowing people's minds since Einstein said that E equals MC squared is that the only possible conclusion to the existence of space-time is that more speed through space means less speed through time and the inverse is true as well but that means that any type of really really fast travel has this inherent problem that you're going to go through time really slowly for really popular movies that dealt with this uh think interstellar except they dealt with it around a black hole which was manipulating gravity and space-time And I think Trey has really solved that problem, or at least presented something that could solve the problem with Marasi's cadmium. Wouldn't they also need Wayne's ability, though? I don't think any one ability, similar to what we were saying about Kelsey. It obviously has to be a group effort. (laughs) What I think would be the most kind of poetic is if it was a combination of the whole crew. Like it was a quartet of powers basically and so here's my explanation for the whole thing how do they do it and how do they avoid this problem that we've just introduced of the time relativity and marasi is the answer to the last bit i think what has to happen in order to travel faster than the speed of light is to come up with some type of ability that pushes you faster than you otherwise should be going basically like getting more propulsion yeah which would be wayne's ability well it's a wayne ability mixed with waxes dual abilities oh to push so pushing dropping the weight we know that wax Mm, as a crusher dropping the weight yeah so like we know that wax as a crasher has the ability to kind of do a couple of weird things that are like his resonance points his resonance powers we think that they are part of his resonance powers but what i believe is that you're going to need a type of kind of combination of propulsion which is wax is pushing weight manipulation uh which is his furukami and then you're going to need like a pocket of time uh that's warped by like wayne's power and then for the crew you're going to need like a marasi power uh to help with that relativity so that's my kind of like poetic answer to (laughs) schedule imagine you know another 200 300 years goes by on schedule and someone like cracks the code and they're talking about how i figured it out by reading these old uh, oh my gosh, stories about Wax and Wayne and Marasi and like the originators of blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, this like wave of people and they're talking about it and they're like, and if you do X, Y, and Z in combination, then what you get is a propulsion drive that sends things faster than light. 
And that's my crazy theory. Crazy hat. (laughs) Well done. Tip of the cap to you. (laughs) Love it. We did have a fan who is like an expert in physics reach out to us a long time ago. I should have reached out to them again before this pod. But for any of our listeners, if you are a physics proficient person, I would love to have someone like break down what metals they think would be used in what capacities for this scenario. I am not a physics person, even a little bit. So I will not chip in, but I'm really interested to hear what other people say. Yeah, I would definitely love to know if there's some one thing that can do it. I just think it has to be some type of crazy combination of stuff. Yeah. But if there's... I think it's a combo and I want to hear your recipes. Exactly. Give them to me. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Someone (laughs) asked some very hilarious questions. I thought they made me laugh. I don't have the name for some reason, but thanks, whoever you are. This person asked how things like COVID-19 would affect Ashen. Can Stormlight heal an epidemic? Can Furukumi allow the user of this type of investiture to store healing? Can a return from Warbreaker be affected by an epidemic? All excellent <laughs> non-topical questions. Just totally normal Totally questions. random, yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think this brings up an excellent issue that we have not really seen outside of Elantris. I think Elantris is maybe mm. a kind of yeah. example mm-hmm. of a plague a sickness that's caused by a magical issue or a a fault in the magical system kind of both right it's caused by a physical phenomenon yes which then creates a flaw in the magical system yeah and so due to the unique circumstances of that world and so that's what i'm kind of saying is that like could there be a cosmere wide thing no but we've definitely not seen and i just want to prepare everyone for the oncoming horde of young adult pandemic survival stories totally it's gonna be everything from like (laughs) world war z clones to just like one day i was a normal upset teenager and then the pandemic Pandemic. broke out exactly and so like we're gonna see a huge surge basically just people writing right now they're currently writing these stories uh but i think that we haven't seen a lot of these types of biological threats. The threats to are be so honest, much more in the, your face. Yeah, like really any type of illness is not heavily We covered. haven't really seen. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, these people are like dealing with Yeah, it's like a lot of other anyways. issues. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> One of the but main characters think... wanted to throw himself off a gigantic <laughs> cliff to his death then deal with the problems of his world. So Actually, this could be something interesting to see in Rashar coming up because yeah. we are having, you know, like uh Kaladin's hometown yes. is quite in a in a bad situation, the sort of perfect conditions for some kind of disease to begin and to uh, ravage, you know, towns. So maybe we might see that. I think there's also a little bit of a survivor's bias uh, that not only is part of these fictional characters' world, I think it's just part of our world, that the reason that we give a lot of attention in our stories to 
the heroic feats in war or the Herculean-like efforts of our near-godlike heroes is that the things that most often kill humans is disease. Like, disease has killed way more people than war Mm -hmm. by many, many magnitudes throughout human history. But all the people who it didn't kill are the survivors, so they feel like heroes. I'm like, we don't need to tell that story. (laughs) We won. We did not die of the Black Plague. Well, there is something there, too, that something like a disease is not visible. Yeah, it's not as tangible. We can't see the Mm -hmm. war that is happening right now really which is why it's so difficult for so many people to like comprehend what's happening and to like know how to react because we can't see our enemy so that doesn't make for a very exciting story it definitely doesn't make for an exciting story i mean i think we can all kind of look around and understand <laughs> that be like what is this story yeah a bunch of people sitting in their homes it's recording not... podcasts <laughs> just a lot of podcast recording going on now <laughs> i think Kind of what the questioner is hinting at, though, uh, is that maybe something like this, a unprecedented disaster that could not otherwise be escaped from, maybe that's planetary as in like a, there was some terrible movie. Hold on. I have to tell everyone about this terrible movie. Uh, But it was called The Core, and the entire premise was that the core of the Earth was going to stop spinning. And then that would like break Earth and everything would die. And it was like a kind of Armageddon, but done cheaply and like years later. Um, So it was like a just bad version of a bad movie. And it was many (laughs) levels down the badness. However, I watched it nonstop. And in the core, they had this problem that I think is completely ridiculous when what is far more likely that happened to the people of action is just like, a bunch of people died from disease and they were really scared and they wanted to get off of that planet and go to the next one. I was thinking about Threnody too. Yes. Right? Yeah, like exactly. the homeland and Threnody, it could be that there was some type of plague. We know and that there's biological things going on there. Exactly. And like in the Cosmere, okay, maybe it's a magical plague, but I think, you know. A plague is a plague. Is a plague. Yeah, 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 exactly. However, I would say that to all of these questions from this listener, the people of the Cosmere at least so far as we've seen, are much better equipped to handle something like just a basic medical, biological pandemic or epidemic than we are because most of these places have people who can heal either themselves or other people. So, you know, just like mobilize all of your edge dancers and you're pretty much good to go. The Stormlight should do a quick number. There's no reason why Stormlight wouldn't work on something like the flu. I would think that a radiant of a certain class, maybe not like a the first level, but any radiant basically should not get sick. Oh, yeah, they can heal themselves, and then your edge dancers are going to heal everyone else. Yeah, I mean, I am thinking that there is a problem for these societies, though, like... You can start nitpicking and just be like, a lot of these books are about war or like war coming. Elantris is like a a war is coming and it's hitting other parts of the planet first and then it's going to crash like a wave down on Elantris soon. Um, And then you have Rashar, which is a bloodbath. You have Scadrial, which in the first era is a bloodbath. It's just like, if we want to nitpick, disease should be killing 
at least half of all of these people because that's what happens in every human war. Like there's never been a war that has ever been fought in human history dating all the way back to the modern era where the biggest problem is not how do we keep the men or women from getting a disease. And it's just like, what disease are we dealing with in this war, in this century, in this location? I think what you pointed out is just, it doesn't make that good of story. It's just kind of lame, but it's also part of the real world uh, that is hard to escape the reality of. All right. Karen chimed in to say that her favorite fan theory right now is that Steris from Mistborn is a person with Asperger's. She says, knowing many people on the spectrums, it seems plausible. I love this idea. I think that Asperger's is on the spectrum uh, and on the farther end of the spectrum, you would have a uh, disorder like autism. And so I think that there are many different types of flavors that we we see of this. Sometimes people are specifically said to be, oh, he's on the spectrum. Um, sometimes it's just kind of alluded to. I don't necessarily see that from Steris. What um, I like is that, well, one, I like that Brandon, I think, does a really good job of incorporating many different types of people with many different types mm, of, mm -hmm. um, you know, pros and cons, strengths and weaknesses in really subtle ways where there are, you know, people with disabilities, people with mental illnesses, people with physical uh, ailments, you know, all, all different kinds of things that he manages to incorporate without like having to point a finger and say, this person is disabled. And that is their, you know, defining characteristic. <laughs> he paints them as just humans like everyone else. And that's just, you know, a part of who they are that, you know, affects them and changes the way that they act in the world. So I like that it's possible that Steris is somewhere on the spectrum. I like that there's a character that, you know, people who are maybe looking for themselves or someone that they know and love in literature can can look at this character and see part of that person in this uh, created world. But I also like that it is not, you know, at the forefront necessarily of who she is, that you and I can read it and you know, we can relate to her just as much as maybe someone who does define themselves as being on the spectrum. Yeah, I think you nailed it. I mean, I, I wouldn't really add anything else. I think people can be people and we're probably all on the spectrum of the mere infinite number of spectrums. That yeah, exist. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And so it's like, yes, if you want to um, kind of break down Stairs's personality into more and more detailed bits she might have like a little higher levels of neuroticism uh, sure but yeah and i'm thinking of she has a quote about like she's memorized all of the societal rules because she doesn't know how to act yes and so she's just kind it's of like memorized this rule book and she follows the rules and she knows that if she does that she'll fit in because like left on her own she feels totally uncomfortable and out of water and i really related to that and like you know, I wouldn't define myself as being on the spectrum, but I, I feel I feel like that all the time, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm just like 
I might look like I know what I'm doing, but I feel very uncomfortable a lot of the time. <laughs> it's because I have binders. Many, many Leslie <laughs> yeah, Nope size binders. Exactly. Let's go on to the next one, which is from a Twitter user named Kaladin Stormblessed, who has a couple of theories. One, very short, very sweet. I like it. Teravangian will bond the Night Watcher. What's your hot take on this one? What a creepy combo. It is a creepy it's combo. Just like I don't like it. Creepy on creepy. We have said before that there are these kind of big spren on Rashar, and the Night Watcher seems like one of them. And we know that big spren a la Stormfather can bond yes, humans. They are the three bondsmith spren. Yeah. So I think it's possible, but that would mean that Teravangian would become one yeah. of the three bondsmiths. So I think it's a possible path for him. Um, it could be like a, a thank you for your sacrifice, as we were talking about before. Mm. Like maybe he sacrifices himself and then cultivation, like, again, sideswipes and is like, okay, bond the Night Watcher and that will, you know, save you from otherwise doom um, just as a possibility and maybe. like a way to like keep him in the game longer than he would be. I think more so... I would worry about the quest for something like the Night Watcher. I feel Teravangian is going to get more and more desperate. Mm. So he might look for things like, oh, I could bond the Night Watcher because Dalinar bonded the Stormfather. And so he might go out looking for something like this. But I could also see Teravangian like going the total other way and just getting so tied up in his own like convoluted diagram and like reinterpreting his reinterpretations that he ends up just being powerless and ineffectual you know and just like falling by the wayside when he thought he was going to be the emperor of all or just the emperor of like his city he he's he's shooting low at this point he does not have a lot of hope for this end game but We'll see how it plays out. Next, Kaladin Stormblessed theory. Ja Anna will help Team Radiant awaken Erethiru, but then Odium will learn of her betrayal and use her to set up a trap for Team Radiant. I don't know if I think this is possible because Ja Anna's power is to corrupt Spren. So I'm not really sure how that would allow her to awaken the Fabrials and Urethiru. Yeah, I think that the Fabrials, and that's how they're described, is like it's a big, gigantic Fabrial. I think there's got to be more to the picture. I don't quite yeah, know I what think the picture is. I could see her showing up plenty of places, including Urethiru, to corrupt shit. Can we say that? It's your podcast. <laughs> you can say whatever you want. Yeah, I don't I don't know if we have any indication that awakening things is part of her power. So I think that there are some questions to be had about what this role will be for Jaana. I'm not sold that she's helping anyone at this point. Last theory from Kaladin Stormblast. It's not really a theory. It's more of a request. He says, can we please get a scene with Navani and Axies the Collector while they talk about Spren and Fabrials? Yes. And um, yes, please. Yes. What a great 
request. Love this combo. I would love to just be a fly on the wall and watch Navani and Axies like have a drink together and just get really nerdy about Spren and Fabrials. There are also those two like physicists or oh yeah on the island the somewhere and the differences oh, in size they can join too yes yeah okay those four need to like create a book club exactly have like a, a span, a span, a span read, read club. club yes <laughs> and the span it's reads like the all podcast of rashar <laughs> span reads are the podcast of rashar you heard it here first <laughs> folks you heard it here Hot first take. yeah <laughs> Thank you for that idea. So we have done two things. One, we've set up this, and we've also set up the first podcast network on Rashar. This is great. And on that genius note, we will say, until next time, life before death. Strength before weakness. Journey before destination. 